Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome in this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Um, so today I'm receiving Blake Hudson, uh, who's going to talk about how to find your voice and express it. Uh, so Blake, welcome on the show. Thanks for having me, Thibault. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well today. It's a beautiful morning here in Chicago uh, and couldn't think of a better way to start my day than chat with you. Yeah, it's often actually, uh, when I interview people, they really, uh, often it's in the US and they like it because it's early. And so it's kind of a, it's a really good way to start a, like a day because it's often very interesting topics. So, uh, so I'm ha happy to uh, lighten your day, basically. It's, it's going to be a good day all throughout. I actually, um, I had surgery on my wrist about 12 weeks ago and okay. today uh, I get my cast taken off. So, okay. That's throughout. amazing. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> That's really cool. So um, can you maybe tell us about a bit about yourself, who you are and um, yeah. Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Blake Hudson. Uh, I live in Chicago, Illinois, and currently I work for a company called Victory Lab. Um, but there's a little bit of a story about how I got here, and it makes it that much more um, important to me that I work at Victory Lab. So previously, I had a background in politics, um, went to school and studied politics and, and political science, um, actually ran for state senate when I was 24. That was kind of the, the height of my political career. Mm -hmm. um, but after that experience, I found myself in a, a very liminal space in my career, a bit of a transition. Um, I was an admissions counselor for a time, and I realized that I had been selling, but I wasn't in sales. And I really wanted to get paid like a salesman, and I wanted to develop that skill set. And so I stumbled across Victory Lab, uh, which is a sales boot camp sales education company. And they really equipped me with the perspective, uh, the, the confidence and the competence that I needed to really thrive as a seller. So I left there, was an SDR for a number of years. And now I've, I've come back home. I've joined Victory Lab, uh, the Victory Lab team, employee, I don't know, eight at this point. And you now we're doing really awesome things. We're helping people walk into a sales career and have success. Okay, okay, good. And so uh, I'd be curious to know, how, how did you decide to go in politics? Because often, you know, uh, people think it's something that you do when you're really old or, you know, it's, uh, they often see old politicians and then they're like, okay, I, I need to be old to do that. So how did you decide to, to do that? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that is a stereotype. I, it was very interesting. So I didn't have the greatest high school experience. I was just kind of lack in focus at times. But I remember my junior year, I had this experience I went to called Boys State, which is basically a week on a college campus during the summertime where they teach you all about civic responsibility, your role in society. And so at 16, 17, I was thinking about that. And I remember asking myself a question um, in an American government class my senior year of high school, where can my skills mean the most for the most? 
And at that time, I, I figured I had this ability to, you know, really understand people, listen to them, and convey complex information in compelling ways. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, I could understand people's needs and go and articulate them in, you know, our state house or our capital and build coalitions there. And I, I mean, I kind of did those things, but over time I realized that that skill is really selling at its core. And politics, I realized was not my career, although I intended it for it to be, it was actually service for a season. And I wanted to go find a career and bring those skills back to the political arena. Okay, okay, I see. So, um, and, and so that, that's very interesting because uh, um, for me, you know, I'm French and Swiss and uh, I, I consider that uh, um, France is one of the worst democracy in the world and uh, uh, it's still a democracy, but Swiss, Switzerland is one of the best democracies in the world. I don't know if you know about the political system here in Switzerland, but for me, it's, it's basically, it's a small country where people are just voting for a lot of topics on a regular basis. And uh, if, if, let's say, there's something you are uh, feeling you're against, you know, like, I don't know, there was a, an example that was in Zurich, which is, uh, I think, no, it's not the capital, but economical capital. There was like a football stadium that was already there and, and a company wanted to build another football stadium. So big money, big lobbying and everything. And some, you know, citizens were like, why would we build a, another stadium if we already have one? They actually uh, voted, so they got like uh, signatures. Um, I don't know, like for um, I don't know how you call that in in English, but basically, um, they were just like suggesting to put that to vote for like a federal vote. Managed mm-hmm. to do it. People voted against the stadium, and that was the the will of the people. And the stadium didn't happen, even though there was big money, big lobbying right. behind that. And so for me, I think that's the example of a perfect democracy, or at least the you know the best we can have. And so, um, yeah. I actually completely forgot my question, but like I wanted to understand, like, uh, you know, how you felt, you know, in the U.S. Is it something similar there, or what's your, your view on that? Sure. I mean, every democracy is going to have its challenges, um, just by virtue of trying to manifest the will of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Also, for whomever is for something, there's always going to be someone against it, and yeah. never, everyone's never going to be satisfied. If that makes any sense. Um, one of the things I wanted to to mention, though, in kind of a pivot here the the beauty of sales is that it is not some you know random unique special skill set sales is fundamentally human and in the the story you just described when you try and bring about change in a community or change in someone's life you're selling yeah. you have to understand their needs assess their situation and try and provide a solution in a way that's going to be impactful for them yeah exactly exactly that's the but yeah, that's something very interesting. And and, uh, and so you said like uh, you were in the, in the moment when, you know, you, you run for Senate, um, exactly. And, and uh, can you maybe tell me a bit more about that and, and what it means? So we have a lot of people from Europe. So if you could go okay. very simply about the political system, because yeah, I'm not yeah. Sure you follow. <laughs> so um, we have levels of our government. We've got the federal level, got the state level and then local. Yeah. And the position I was running for was at the state level. Okay. So I would have been in a situation where if elected, I would have gone about creating new laws for my state. Okay. Um, everything from as small as where bikes should ride in the street yeah. to as large as we're going to take an extra percent of income this year in taxes. Okay. And so there are 59 members in our state mm-hmm. Senate. Um, I would have been one of 59. Uh, at that time, I was 24, so I was 
probably about as young as you can be running for that office. I would have turned 25 before getting elected. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting experience. Again, I studied that. I worked in our state capitol for a year before I, that experience. And it really, it came down to this. I had two goals. Obviously, one, I wanted to win the election. I did not, um, but it, it's okay. It turned out well for me. I'm, in, I'm doing things I'm passionate about now. But the second goal, and the one I think I did accomplish, was galvanizing support in my community amongst young people in yeah. particular. I just wanted them to see like they had a voice too, that they mattered and that they could participate in our system. And I had, you know, over a hundred volunteers help out on my campaign, many of which were still in high school and couldn't even vote yet. Yeah. So that just showed me that there was a there was a belief and a and a support behind my campaign that, you know, you can't really fabricate or or pretend yeah. to make. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's that's something super important in politics and uh uh, I think it's, it's missing is representation. So um, if you only see like uh, old dudes, you know, like in your young yourself, it's going to be pretty hard to identify yourself to and, and, you know, to have them understand and carry your message. So I think it's pretty, pretty cool what you did. The same thing happened in sales too. To your very point, representation matters. Seeing yeah. someone that looks like you or has a similar experience can give you and imbue you with a sense of confidence. Um, I am, I'm on this podcast now because of someone like a Morgan Ingram. You know, I saw a young African-American male talking about sales, succeeding in sales, and it dawned on me, hey, I can do that. Yeah. And now Morgan and I are friends. We chat, you know, a few times a month, and I'm able to use my experiences to help other sellers now yeah. purely because of that representation. So, yeah, it's a big point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, Morgan is super cool. He's like, he really has good tactical content. So uh, mm -hmm. it's really nice to see him working with uh, John Barrows. I think it's a, it's a cool gig he found, basically. That's right. That's why I try and get the behind the, behind the scenes stuff from him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so you, I, I see you're regularly posting content, videos, a uh, ton of content, actually. And very interestingly, for people who are also looking for jobs and interviewing, can you maybe tell me a bit more about uh, what, when you started that, that, why you started that, and, and how, how has your journey been, basically? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to answer that question. I, I really enjoy talking about this topic because content creation can be such a daunting endeavor for people. It just seems very overwhelming. There's imposter syndrome. Who am I and what should I say? The first thing I would say to them is understand your motive. So the reason why I started posting on LinkedIn, which truthfully, I started in February, so not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and I had barely had over 500 connections, but I started working at Victory Lab and I really believed in my heart of hearts that we were the best premier sales education company. Mm -hmm. And I wanted people to know about the good work we've done. We've placed over 700 candidates in sales roles. We've been around for four years and you know we've impacted people's lives. So now we have to put that story out there. So that was my motive for it. And early on, you know, no one really noticed. I mean, I think my second post had like two likes, but I knew I was going to come back for a third post and a fourth post. And eventually you kind of break out of your comfort zone and you start to find your voice. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to share a formula that I've used to create content that I think your audience might benefit from. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So what I realized over time is like, there's a, there's a way to create content that um, allows you to become an expert on you. A lot of people say, what should I talk about? What can I talk about? Well, you are an expert on you. And if you are able to capture certain aspects of your life and convey them in a certain way, you'll never run out of 
things to produce content on. Yeah. And the formula I use is this, it's um, experience plus perspective plus a lesson, and then you extract and apply it in a new setting. That might not make sense, so let me explain it. Everyone has experiences. Some of them are very mundane, some of them are very exciting, but we all have experiences. I'll use an example to kind of walk you through this. Um, a lot of us get asked at university, what do you want to do when you graduate? Okay, that's an experience we can all relate to. And if you wrote content about that, it would be pretty generic, right? Yeah. So I received that question in the following way, because I was in politics, people would ask, what office do you want to run for, Blake, when you graduate? Experience. The perspective at the time on that experience was, you know, I'm not sure. I still have so much to learn. I really want to make sure I have everything I need to be successful. Otherwise, I'm going to let people down. I'm going to let myself down. That was my perspective. Over time, that perspective evolved. And the lesson I learned was, it's not about the position I'm pursuing. It's about the person I'm becoming. And so the lesson was really just a way of reforming and shaping that that perspective. Now here's where it's key and here's where you can become a really effective content creator. You take that lesson, which is me at university getting asked a very generic question and I reapply it in a new context. So I would take that lesson, for example, and say to the SDR that wants to become an account executive, don't be in such a rush to become account executive that you miss out on the fundamentals of your craft. There are many lessons that are valuable as an SDR that are going to set you up for success. And perhaps if you take another three months to be an effective SDR, you'll have much more success as an AE. It's not about the position you're pursuing. It's about the person you're becoming. Okay. And so that's the sort of method I use when I experience something in my daily life. What happened? And, and it doesn't always have to have some profound answer. Sometimes it's just a question. You know, what do you guys think? How do you handle, you know, a promotion and pursue promotion. And you'd find that people really engage with those sorts of experiences. Okay, okay, very interesting. So experience plus perspective plus lesson, okay. And um, so, so, um, so, so the, how to say, it's like you started in February and, and can you maybe tell me a bit about the first few days, few weeks, and then when you started seeing traction and that it was working? Yeah, so when I first started, You, you'll find yourself in this place of obscurity. Mm -hmm. No one really knows you, you've started posting for the most part. Maybe you'll have a couple of friends or colleagues who take note. Maybe they'll kind of make fun of you or poke fun a little bit. Uh, all in good nature, I hope. Otherwise, you got to get some new friends. Yeah. But those first couple of days, you're in obscurity. And then you start to cross a threshold where people start to notice, but they're still not quite engaging right? Like you'll see your yeah. view count increase and maybe your like count increase, but not necessarily your comments. But what happens is as you remain consistent, you, you increase that visibility mm -hmm. and you increase that engagement. Yeah. And now you see your views go up, but also your likes and most importantly, your comments, because that's where you start to build a conversation. And then lastly, this is the, the, the part you really want to pursue is the connection. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to just create content. You can talk and shout in a room by yourself, but what does that do for anybody? You want to share that information with other people and start a conversation and connect with them. Yeah. And so I, I posted for 30 consecutive days and it was very difficult. I was running out of things to say. Sometimes I'd just post a quote because I didn't have anything else to offer, but 
doing that for 30 days consecutively and it ended up being 45 before I took a break and I, I built that muscle yeah. of what, what should I post? How can I make this interesting? How can I ask a thought provoking question? And over time I started to realize, oh, I enjoy talking about interviews and, and selling yourself and I can talk about other things, but mm -hmm. you know, those are maybe more ancillary uh, topics. So you'll find your voice, you'll find your audience, but you find it by doing. Okay. Yeah. And consistency is really key in there because it's, uh, I see a lot of people trying or having like a big, big push and then they have a lot of success. And often, you know, it's a, they have very viral posts and the problem is then they just cannot completely stop and then you lose momentum and all you've built actually is, uh, is, is really, you know, it's, it's kind of not lost, but it's going to be harder to, to get back in. So I think it's consistency. So that's why I always say to people when they start is just, if you have to post, let's say once a week, just start by once a week and then three times a week and then maybe four or five times. Personally, I've actually committed myself to commit to post once a week, every day of the year, no matter what I'm doing, where I am, if I'm on holiday or whatever. And so I've done that. I've started actually posting regularly in December and committing from January, 1st of January. And I've never missed a single day. And, you know, I went from 2,500 to now 11, almost 12,000 followers. And, um, you know, like the results are really incredible also in terms of uh, different metrics, like profile visits, views, uh, comments, and likes, but mostly like business that I've done out of it. What, what, about, what about that for you? So is it something where you see also some um, outcome out of your, your building your voice and expressing your voice that are bringing business opportunities for you? Absolutely. Um, and, and it's funny because I, I started pursuing LinkedIn as a, uh, a professional tool, kind of a lead tool uh, from a place of I just wanted to humanize myself. Yeah, it was in the middle of the pandemic or right at the beginning of it. And everyone's sending emails, a few people were calling, but you don't really get to capture the essence of a person in those yeah. formats. And so by going on LinkedIn, you can at least see my face. And then I started sending, you know, voice messages. And then I started sending video messages and it really took off. I was able to set some meetings with some very high profile people in, um, in, in really important roles just by virtue of being genuine, uh, being vulnerable in that way and, and just presenting who I was as a human yeah. and trying to connect with them as a human. Yeah. And that's why I say sales is fundamentally human. It's not this special skill set. It's can you listen well? Can you empathize? Can you ask great questions? Because if you can do those things, you're set up to succeed in sales. Yeah. So LinkedIn is a great medium for that. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when we connected, um, you sent me a, a video and I was like, oh, it's really cool because he's, he's just, you know, saying hi. And I immediately answered because um, there's one thing happens, you know, when, whenever you're doing videos is people kind of, you're doing this video you can send it you know, to one person or doing it at scale whenever you're doing a post. And then people kind of immediately, they build rapport with you without you actually being present. Right. And what I've found is whenever people then, you know, have, see your face regularly and start talking with you, they kind of, you get the impression, you know, you don't know them, but they talk to you like, like you're a friend. And I really like that because often it's prospects you're trying, you know, you're talking to, people who could potentially buy what you have to offer. And they just talk with you like your friend. And so, you know, you don't have to talk about the weather or whatever. You're really able to build rapport based on that video. So I think that's uh, really, and you're doing a great job there. So thank you. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add to that point about the, the numbers and the metrics, um, you know, early on, especially, and I, 
for example, I, I give speeches. Uh, I gave my first speech at five. I gave my most recent speech last fall at a university. Mm -hmm. And I always, from a young age, was, was in the mindset of speak to the one. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is speak as if there is one person in the audience that really needs to hear what you have to say. And in doing that, you actually speak to everyone, yeah. but you're having a one-to-one -one conversation with all of them. And so I, I try and do the same thing with my content. I, I don't get too caught up in like my numbers or my followers or connections. I'm really trying to focus more on impact and, and cultivating that sense of community. Yeah. And what I found is, is that I, I haven't grown as quickly as some other people. Like I've gone from 500 connections to 3,000, which don't get me wrong, that's a lot. It's a big increase. But I could have very well had 10,000 connections by now. I just... I'd rather have those people engaged. And mm -hmm. so what I've seen is that while I have maybe fewer connections than someone with five or 10,000 followers, I'm actually getting higher engagement, which means that it's resonating with people. And over time, that'll grow. But I'm, I'm impact first and number second. And I mm -hmm. think that if you have that perspective, you will grow with time. But more importantly, you'll grow with the right people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's so right. Is often people get caught up in the number of followers they have are all these vanity metrics. And um, as you said, you know, what you're optimizing for is impact, um, you know, and, and for me, it's like, I clearly wanted to do a, a LinkedIn for first uh, generation of leads, you know, and, and then like building a personal brand and an impact uh, in second. And so is, uh, I think it's always about really defining exactly what you want and um, having an impact, I think is, is also like, is um, um, it's a very, I'd say it's like a, a very authentic way, takes a bit longer, but then the engagement of your community uh, is, is way higher. So I think it's, uh, that's what Justin Welch did, for example, I had him on the, on the show and he, he talked about you. I don't know if you were watching, but he, he said, you have to follow this guy. So I was like, yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, and so it's, um, yeah, it was, it was also very interesting. For me, typically this guy was really a, a good inspiration because I did his uh, playbook. Did you, did you do his kind of course or? I was just going to say, I love Justin. I've done the playbook. I've had one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations with him. I appreciate the shout outs. He's, he's definitely a big inspiration for me in, in doing this. As I mentioned, Morgan already, uh, Morgan and Justin have been two really instrumental figures for me in, in yeah. doing this work. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it's, uh, I really like the tactical approach of, of Justin, how he kind of like split everything and it's very easy to understand. So it's, uh, he, he found something really cool there. You, you said something about uh, giving a speech at fall at university. Can you maybe tell me a bit more about that? Uh, like the contents of the speech or just the experience? Or just like uh, the experience because I, I, I don't know, I, I've seen some kind of screenshot, but is it something you did in front of a lot of people, like a crowd of people uh, graduating or? Yeah, so I, I've done it a couple of different times. The, the most recent one was as a guest speaker uh, for a university in, in a neighboring state. Um, I think it was a nursing university and it was in Wisconsin. I don't think I know it was. Um, but the, the one you probably seen the screenshot of was I, I spoke at my own graduation um, when I got my master's degree in public administration. And that was at the University of Illinois. There was about eight to 9,000 people in attendance. And it was, it was a really, um, in a good way, overwhelming experience. There were you know, two or three levels of people and from left to right, as far as you could see. And I just remember really being in my element, you know, feeling like I, 
I had the opportunity to just share my story and share a message with people that, you know, would resonate. And that, that's the key is when you, when you get up in front of a group of people, you're going to be nervous. I'm nervous. I've given hundreds of speeches in my life and I still get nervous. Robin Williams has this quote, the day I stop uh, getting nervous when I perform is the day I'm done. Right. Yeah. And so I, I respect those nerves, but I realize that the nerves don't have to be channeled into nervous energy necessarily. I might feel that way internally, but externally I can channel that and, and, and expand it into enthusiasm. And I try and share people to do that in their interviews as well. Yeah. When you have something to say, when you feel like you have something worth saying, you put your focus on the audience, what they're getting out of the experience. When you're worried about messing up and what they'll think, and if you forget your words, that's no disrespect, that's very selfish thinking, and it sets you up to actually fail. Yeah. Put your focus on the audience, what you have for them, what outcomes you want for them, and that's what allows you to speak comfortably to 9,000 people. Yeah, that's crazy, 9,000. Never, never done that. I think the max I've done was like, I have no clue, maybe... 200 something like that it's already a big crowd but yeah 9,000 must be like really scary. anything more than two is enough for some people you know uh, and honestly at a certain point you can't really tell the difference 200 2,000 10,000 it's it, it sometimes it's a dark room you can't even see yeah. past the first couple of rows exactly yeah yeah I think you know for a lot of people that actually that's one of the I think that's the first fear like a phobia uh, of the in the world is public mm -hmm. speaking Mm -hmm. So um, for me, it's, it's the same. It's something uh, I've, I've done like, uh, um, how you call that? I think it's theater. When, you know, when I was a kid, I was at night mm -hmm. and, you know, in front of adults and I was just talking and blah, blah, blah. So I was always really in this element. I really appreciate the um, energy you get out of a crowd. Um, but yes, yeah, so for some people, it's pretty tough. But for me, I just like, I, like, I really like the... Um, how you feel once it's over, you know? Right, and same. When you nailed it and you're like, wow, you know, people liked it and uh, that's really a good feeling. It's very relieving. But I will say that the feelings before that are very difficult. I feel very tense. Yeah. I've gone to many different events where they served dinner before I went to speak okay. and I couldn't eat because yeah. I was too nervous. Um, so it's, it's an experience all around. Yeah, I guess that's a full package. That's also what makes it so good is all this feeling you have there and uh, yeah, okay. And, and so talking about, about uh, politics and, and sales, um, what are the, the differences you see in, in between these two worlds? The differences? You know, that's an interesting question. Most of the time I'm talking about the similarities. Um, let's see. Politics was very difficult because there wasn't an immediate solution. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why I feel so confident as a seller and why no one can tell me, Oh, you haven't done this. You haven't done that is because I've sold the hardest thing possible. Yeah. Myself. I'm, I'm a 24 year old standing on someone's door at a, on a Saturday morning and I'm trying to convince them why they should vote for me because of something I might be able to do for them in the future. Yeah. And really what that is, is me being able to convey the, the unique aspects of their situation and describe them better than they can. Mm -hmm. If I can describe and empathize with their problem, they're willing to hear my solution. Even yeah. if I don't have it, even if I can't provide it. Yeah. So that's the difference that there's not an immediate solution, but you can see now how after doing that, going to sell a solution, a service of some sort of product, 
that was no disrespect, but that was easy. Yeah. Now I'm like, I know your problem. I understand your pain point. Try this out and try it out today. Yeah. And um, so that, that's probably the biggest difference was the lack of immediacy. Okay. And so the similarities then? Similarities, again, just being able to empathize with people, to problem solve, to understand human behavior and human psychology. Uh, that sounds very complicated. You, you can go very deep into that subject, but at a simplest level, you know, you just look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People really want to feel safe. They want to feel loved. They want to feel like they're fulfilling themselves. They're becoming, they're actualizing their self. And so if you can speak to those things, if you can make sure that people feel safe, if you can make sure that people feel heard and seen and belonging, they're going to listen to you because those are core human needs. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Is like, uh, I've actually never seen politics as something similar or, you know, like close to sales. I, I've always thought that's, um, for me, I've always thought that's something you, you really do whenever you're, I mean, at least that's the model we see is, is very often it's if you have a lot of money and you've got everything and the only thing you actually are missing is power. But I guess that's a bit uh, simplified division. It, it is, but no, I get it. You, you do politics when you're old, boring, and rich, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be that way for sure. Yeah. We all have a part to play. Exactly, exactly. And so coming back on the, uh, on, on, you know, expressing your voice, um, what, one um, thing I've observed in, on LinkedIn is that it's, um, you know, there's kind of a certain type of voice you can express and, you know, let's say you, you are too funny or, you know, like you're not really, um, you know, not too professional. That's a voice that tends to be, you know, harder to express on, on, on LinkedIn. So how do you say, you know, someone who wants to be really different, what would be an advice so they can express their voice safely without being, you know, afraid of having uh, bad, bad, uh, how to say like, yeah, backlash basically. Very simply, I would say to that person, I would rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. That's a good one. I like so that. you go on LinkedIn, there's sure a lot of people tell you what you can and cannot say, what topics you can and cannot talk about. But the reality is it's your profile. It's yeah. your life. It's your story. And if someone wants to dispute your story, your experience, your perspective, your lessons, let them. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, like you've already gone through it. So it's they're arguing with history at that point, yeah. you know, and, and, and honestly, like you're not putting your opinion out there to, to say nobody else's opinion matters. Mine is the only one that matters. You're putting your opinion out there to say mine matters too. Mine matters as well. And yeah. so just, you know, be confident in who you are and you'll find that people, people respond to that confidence. You'll yeah. always have haters, even if you're shy and you don't do anything, you'll still have people that, you know, can, can discourage you yeah. when you're confident and you trust who you are and what you're about. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about identity and purpose. You know, people really resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's something I, I've, I really, I really agree with. And one thing that is great about, about LinkedIn is that if you have haters, these haters are actually beneficial for you because they increase your engagement and your visibility. So great. it's one of the best thing when people kind of pick a fight and start fighting in your comments. It's great, great thing to increase the number of views you have. Right. And I try and respect them. Right. But at the same time, it's like, they don't have to agree with me. Yeah. God bless you. I'm, I'm glad you disagree. That's your opinion. Appreciate yeah. the comment. 
you yeah, know exactly i got some people who are like that you know it's um and it's always very interesting because you know um a lot of people they aspire to do things you know but they never put in the work to do it right and whenever they see others and again when they identify to others they, they like you know you have like positive role models and negative roles with role models too you know is they just see you and they see you doing what they always wanted to do but they never putting the work and then they start hating and uh I actually really like that, you know, when people start hating on me, because it's just like, it's a proof that I'm doing something right, I feel, is, um, you know, I'm showing them that it can be done. And some people just like, I'm really not not confident enough. And they just like prefer trolling or whatever. For me, I just, I just feel like it's a, it's a sign that I'm doing something right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, that's beyond that. And also, I see you, you're doing um, a lot of videos. And uh, we could see your, how you call that? It's a cask or a cast? How, yeah, like, I have the cast on just for a couple more hours. That's yeah. all. Okay. So, uh, you know, like, how was it to, to, to like put videos out there and, um, you know, like the, the process around it? Because for a lot of people, it's very tough. They are very shy. And mm -hmm. so how, how was it for you? I, I remember when I first started, I was reading and hearing that videos would really set content creators apart because of that, because they were hard and difficult. And what I realized was the reason why ultimately videos are hard for people is because they feel they have to be a certain person mm -hmm. once the camera turns on. Yeah. And I fall, I am guilty of this and I've done hundreds of videos, but the reality is when I turn that camera on, for the most part, I'm myself. Mm -hmm. I might, I might speak in a different pitch, you know, yeah. but things I'm saying are from my heart. I'm never reading off a piece of paper or a screen. You know, I, I do prepare my thoughts for mm -hmm. sure, but then I get in front of that camera, I turn it on and, and I just speak as if I'm speaking to the person in the room. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the best piece of advice I could give is trust that your real authentic self is the best version to present. Yeah. Uh, unless you're going to be an actor and you have to portray a role, mm -hmm. the reality is you should be yourself. And, and to the point I was thinking about this earlier, a lot of people treat interviews like auditions. Mm -hmm. An interview is an opportunity to introduce yourself to your future employer. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people treat it like an audition and they try and go into character, not realizing that even if they get that job, now you have to keep being that person yeah. you were in the interview. Exactly. So yeah, when the camera goes on, just just be real and, and talk as if the person's in the room with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you said. Talk to the to the one, as you said, I think is a very good advice. Never thought about it this way, but like often you know you think about the camera and what people will see. But if you talk just as if you were talking to one person and conveying a specific message, makes it way more authentic and easy for, for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. So um so we're nearing the, the end of, of the, uh, you know, of the interview. So for me, I'd like to give you a bit of time to, you know, talk about anything you'd love to talk, uh, you know, it can be your company or anything. So yeah, the stage is yours. Sure. Well, there's a, there's a lot of different places it can go. Um, I guess I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a, a brief overview of who we are and what we do at Victory Lab. Mm -hmm. um, so as I mentioned, I went through Victory Lab as a candidate once upon a time. Uh, I was in cohort 22. Mm -hmm. And now next week, we're going to be having our 51st cohort. Okay. And Victor Lap is an eight-week sales boot camp. Um, we spend the first two, uh, we're big believers in providing context, you know, mm -hmm. because context informs content. 
So before we get into the nitty gritty of the tactical sales advice, we want to um, help people understand what sales is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, helping them understand that sales is about solving problems for people. Sometimes they just don't know what those problems are yet. So those are the first two weeks. Weeks three and four, we go into the fundamentals of this work. So, you know, making cold calls, sending emails, building out a cadence, building out your pipeline, the things you need to know to be fundamentally sound in this work. Weeks five and six, we start to talk about some higher level skills, cold calling, um, uh, cold prospecting, outbound selling, and closing. Mm -hmm. Because closing a conversation in sales is very different than opening one. Yeah. And then lastly, in week seven and eight, we go very deep into the job search process, interview prep, and most importantly, making sure that you are going to the right fit. Mm-hmm. All too often, we see talented salespeople go to the wrong company, mm-hmm. not because it's a bad company, it's just the wrong fit for their skills. Mm-hmm. And so we help our candidates, our students vet these companies so that they can get to the right place for them. And so after that eight week experience, you know, we continue to support with, you know, one-on-one mentorship and coaching access to our alumni network. And we continue to support you throughout the first six months of your role. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing too, I wanted to say is we also have an on the job uh, component of our bootcamp as well. So starting in week five, you become eligible to join our remote sales team where you are selling a service and not only working, learning, but you're learning, you're earning, and you are putting those skills into practice in a very tangible way. So by the time you're finished with boot camp, you can say, not only have I invested the time to learn these skills, but I've actually applied them as well. And these are the stats to prove it. You've okay. just set yourself apart from not just other applicants, but people that have been in sales for yeah. a while. So that's, that's our experience. And we've really had some great outcomes for people. I am living proof of that. The most stark example I can give is I went from sleeping on a futon in my parents' couch to living in a downtown high-rise apartment. And I'm very proud of that transition and Victory Lab made that happen. Yeah, congrats Um, on that. I guess the other thing I'd want to talk about is, um, maybe there's two other things. The the second is this this sell yourself Mm -hmm. uh, mentality. And whether it's an interview, whether it's life, it's understanding who you are, what you want, and bringing other people along into that story. Um, if you want to go deeper into this topic, you can research The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. It's also a strategy that Disney uses in all of their movies. If, if you ever really take a step back and listen, look, every single Disney movie has the same sort of like story arc. You've got this character who wants this goal and they overcome some adversity. Uh, a mentor comes along and supports them and, and guides them on their way. Yeah. And so we can, we can put our lives in that same context. And I, I try and simplify it for people, whether they're answering a question like, tell me about yourself, or whether they're just trying to grow as an individual, understanding your identity, who you are, what's important to you, what are those core drivers, what are your strengths, weaknesses, what have you done to mitigate those weaknesses? Mm-hmm. Those are all questions that you should be answering if you want to effectively sell yourself. Mm-hmm. Same thing is true for a product can't sell a product you don't know that well. The second thing is your purpose, the the why. What is it exactly that you want? Why is that important to you? What sort of outcome do you want for other people? There's a quote, uh, you can get whatever you want in life so long as you help other people get what they want first. And the reality is we find our success not in in our own lives, but in the completion of of other people's lives. Mm 
once success is complete in another person, that's when we are successful. Yeah. And lastly, the practice, the, the, the actual how, the what, what exactly are you doing? What skills do you need to improve upon to become that, that best version of yourself? And so by, by doing that introspective work, by getting a clear sense of your identity and your purpose and your practice, you can really move through life in, in a confident way and in a compelling way and invite other people to join you on that journey. That's what I did with my political experience. I, I thought if I pursue something big enough and convey that experience in a compelling fashion, people will join alongside me. And I guess the last thing I wanted to share, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going deep now, but is this idea called the gratitude gap. So I, in my first couple of months as a sales professional, really did well. I, I hit my quota and I succeeded and I was kind of riding high. Mm -hmm. And then I came back in month four and things changed uh, around me. Um, my quota had doubled immediately yeah. and the areas of focus that I had shifted, I went from inbound and outbound to just inbound. And I was really struggling with that experience and basically kind of moped for a whole quarter, not getting my best work out there. Yeah. And I, it dawned on me over time, not in one exact day, but I was looking at the wrong things. I looked around and I saw my other teammates very disgruntled and they were complaining. There was a lot of expectation. There was a lot of entitlement, things they felt they should have had or deserved. Maybe some of them did, maybe most of them didn't. But the reality was I found that the gap between my gratitude and my entitlement determined my happiness or frustration. What I mean by that is this, if my gratitude was greater than my expectation or my entitlement, that gap was my happiness. Mm -hmm. My entitlement and expectation crept above my gratitude. That was my frustration. Yeah. And so I tried to keep at the forefront of my mind the things that I could be grateful for. I wasn't sleeping on my parents' futon anymore. I, I was living with my fiance and I love her dearly. I've moved downtown. I'm in this great sales role. I get paid well to do my work. I have the tools and resources to be successful. Those are the things I focused on. Instead of, I should be promoted. I don't have enough. Why do they have me doing this? And then that gratitude gap really saved me and kept me sane in a very difficult time in my life. And I've realized it not only applies in sales, not only applies in startups, it applies in our life. Yeah. So those are the three things I'd like to share. I appreciate you giving me time to talk about them. I like that. And I think it's uh, one of the good ways to do that is to have a gratitude journal, which is actually scientifically, there's a bunch of studies. There's a good video uh, on Kurzgesagt, which is like, um, it's in English. It's not in English. It's called Kurzgesagt, where they talk about what's the, you know, like we said about happiness and whatever, but like one of the best way to reach this kind of like state, which is not really happiness, but like is to be gr grateful for what you have. Mm -hmm. As you said, there's this gap. And uh, when you're more grateful, then uh, you know, have expectations, things are uh, good. And then the opposite way, you know, it's not so good. So really like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a great TED talk by a guy named Sean Acor. Uh, he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Mm -hmm. um, but he talks about in this TED talk that the, the thing with gratitude, especially keeping a journal, is that it causes you to relive the pleasant experience. And yeah. your brain doesn't know the difference. Yeah. So you get all those endorphins and positive emotions and um, over again. You experience it over again, and that's like a mood booster for you. So yeah, gratitude, it's definitely a superpower in that way. Exactly. Good. And so where people can get in touch with you and, and hear more of you? Sure. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. 
um, obviously Blake Hudson. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to, you know, if someone wants to email me, Blake at victorylap.io. Um, but I mean, I'm pretty accessible. If someone wants to message me on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm happy to chat with them. I feel like I give my Calendly out about five times a day these days. Um, so people are always throwing time on my calendar. I just, here's my thing. I want to see people succeed, particularly in sales, because I remember when I was trying to make that transition, how overwhelming it seemed, how daunting it was. And, and this is, I mean, I had a master's degree. I, I'd ran for office. I had all these reasons to be confident, but still it was very overwhelming stepping into this new world. And so I now have more expertise than I did. And I want to be able to support other people. Just last night, I connected with a, a young man, recent grad on LinkedIn. And he was like, thanks so much. I appreciate you reaching out. I was like, yeah, dude, call me now. If you're free, let's talk about what you're doing, how you're getting into sales. And next thing you know, we're on the phone at 8 p.m. my time. So it's all about helping people where they are, you know, not, not on your time, but right when they need it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So thanks so much. I'll share all the details and, uh, you know, like the, uh, your LinkedIn um, in the um, podcast notes. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was really interesting. And uh, have a good day then. Thanks for having me.